0: here tonight a couple of, was this morning good or was this morning good jt has been blowing us up and uh we're excited for tonight great conversation and then jt's gonna be preaching in the morning so uh you be careful when you come to town we put you to work
1: hey it's time to do work
0: bro. and he's good looking too any good looking man come on i knew
1: you were gonna be here so i had to step up the
0: game there we go Fight. that's what i'm talking about uh, so so glad that you guys are here this evening. Um, last night was amazing. This tonight is going to be a lot of fun. It's obviously going to look a lot different than last night, uh, but I think it's going to be powerful nonetheless. So if you weren't here last night, uh, I want to just recap: Why are we doing witness conference? What is it? And then I want to kind of set the framework for a little bit of what tonight's going to look like, so that we can uh, be on the same page. Because we have said we're going to have a dialogue about race, culture, and church, and that is a broad topic. So. We don't have uh, 10 years to have this conversation tonight, but we can get started, right? So we're doing witness conference because uh, out of two stories out of the Bible, one in Joshua 22, where the people of God are separated by the Jordan River. One side builds an altar to worship God. The other side sees it and thinks they're building an altar to worship a different God. And so they march across the river to kill the people who are building the altar. And when they get there, the people who are building the altar say, time out. We're actually not running away from God. We are building an altar to God that to worship God just like you worship God. And they said, We're going to call this the altar of witness. So it's a witness between you and us and our generations that we worship God together. And we are believing that this weekend God is doing something in the body of Christ in Indianapolis to bring us together about what we can agree on. Because a lot of times us Christians can march against each other to fight against each other about some things that aren't uh, the most important things to fight about, and it keeps us from fighting with each other for the things that are important. And so we want to be uh, people who are united. And so if you are here from, uh, if you don't go to our church, anybody here not going to Antioch, Indy? I know, wow, that's awesome. So glad you're here. Welcome. Zach, you go here. <laughs> gone it. And Maybe maybe you shouldn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> no, we... You know, obviously this isn't a gathering of every Christian in Indianapolis and some, you know, massive unity thing. But we're believing that for those of us who are here, God's going to shift something in our hearts to help us love one another better. And just even in the the spirit that God is going to catalyze something to bring unity in the body of Christ. Because the Bible says when brothers dwell together in unity, the Lord has already commanded a blessing there. And so there's a blessing of God to be stepped into if we can just hold hands a little bit tighter sometimes. And the second thing is Acts chapter one, verse eight, when Jesus says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us so that we can be his witnesses to the nations. And like JT talked about last night, we wanna move from being only believers to being witnesses. We wanna see Jesus and we wanna testify about Jesus. And that leads us into the conversation for tonight about race, culture, and church. And so to kind of set the framework, uh, I, I was thinking about, what tonight was gonna be all about, what it would look like. And I was remembering in college, I took a semester class called Feminism. And I didn't know much about that. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. I remember walking in the first day and there was about nine of us in the class around a table, a round table. It was gonna be a discussion-based class. I didn't really know what to expect, but I knew people got heated about that word. And I was excited to be a part of the conflict. (laughs) And the class started off with a simple question what is a feminist? And we started talking about it around the table. And I was surprised because pretty quickly everybody around the table pretty much agreed that the definition of a feminist according to the people around that table was people who believed that men and women had equal rights. And I was really confused. (laughs) So I thought, okay, so what else do we have to talk about? But I learned in that moment, like, what are we going to talk about the rest of the semester? And uh, we actually had a lot of interesting discussions the rest of the semester. And I learned that day that you can agree on a simple definition, but that doesn't mean you've settled a complex conversation. And tonight, we all believe that we have equal value created by God. We believe Jesus loves everybody equally. We believe that salvation is for everybody. We don't believe that people have different value based on their economic background or race or anything else that, they might define themselves by, that's what I think, that's what JT thinks, and we're gonna assume that that's what we all think, and we, so we agree on the simple definition of that, and yet none of us would suggest that a conversation about race, culture, and church between a white guy and a black guy is a simple conversation. We can agree on simple definitions, but we still have to have complex conversations. And so the goal of tonight Uh, This is something I initiated with JT, and more than anything, there's a a dialogue that I want to have with him as a friend and a brother, and thought, why don't we invite other people to watch and listen? So I'm interested, and I think it's going to be fun, Um, so we're going to have just some dialogue and uh, Q&A and just that kind of thing together uh, as friends, and I hope that it interests you and benefits you along the way we may get to some time that's open for some Q&A at the end and so there's a phone number about to go up on the screen. If you, uh, this evening, have questions that you'd like to uh, kind of contribute to the conversation, text that phone number and uh, Emily Schultz is gonna be kind of collecting those. If we get to them, she may try to summarize a group of them as it makes some sense and, and that might help us uh, get into some other stuff. So, it's gonna be fun. So, the goal of tonight is not to finish any conversation. It's just to have, have a good conversation. Okay? So, we are our goal, I want to just make this clear, our goal is to have humble, Jesus-centered, kingdom-oriented, people-loving dialogue. That helps us as Antioch Indy, for those of you who are part of our church, and us as the church, the people of God, we help us be more humble, more Jesus-centered, more kingdom-oriented, and more people-loving people. That's the goal for tonight, is that we all leave more of those things. So we're not going to cover everything. We'll see what we do get to, but it's gonna be fun. And, and last thing is just, we've been talking leading up to this and our goal tonight is not to say everything perfectly. Uh, not to say everything perfectly for every set of years or even for each other. We wanna have honest conversation. Uh, that, that's, we wanna be really hard to get offended tonight. We wanna to love each other really well and try to get to the heart of the issue on things knowing that ultimately we're all on the same team. We're just trying to work this thing out together. Does that sound good? Awesome. So JT's gonna open us up with some thoughts and then we'll go from there.
1: Absolutely, man. Well, let's give it up for Pastor Andrew for uh, and this is awesome. Um, I I wanna add that you may you do actually have permission to get offended, you just can't stay that way. That's good. That's good. The church is supposed to be a bathroom, not a place that you go to after you've been to the bathroom. You know, we, we come here dressed up and acting like we have our stuff together, but in the bathroom, everything that stinks comes out, that's right. right? You go into the bathroom to get clean and to get purified, right? To release some stuff. I know that sounds crude, but it's the truth. And if the church doesn't create the space for that, we can't expect the culture to. That's right. Do you understand? So that's why I applaud you for doing this. And I want you to know that as family, we start our conversation as family, mm-hmm. um, and uh so uh a lot of people don't know anything about you know kind of what my life looks like these days some of you in this room uh, knew my wife and I when we lived here in Indianapolis uh last night I mentioned that this was kind of like the proving ground the wilderness of Indiana where God uh formed us in a profound way and began to really give us a place of meeting uh with the Lord and um Then he sent us, and the way he sent us uh, was through um, Ferguson, Missouri. How many of you know the name Ferguson? You've heard the name Ferguson. Uh, For those of you who don't, um, today we live in a culture where uh, it's normal to see people on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever talk about being woke, talk about blackness, talk about uh, race and justice and police brutality and all these things. Raise your hand if you've ever heard anything about police brutality. Okay. how many? Raise your hand if you've ever heard anything about white privilege. <clears throat> raise your hand if you've ever heard anything about uh, racism. <laughs> raise your hand if you've heard anything about racism within the last 30 days. Okay, every hand went up. Five years ago, that was unheard of. We live in a new normal, and the reason why we live in a new normal is because prior to Ferguson, Missouri and the events that took place when an 18-year-old black man was shot by a police officer, um, prior to those events, any conversation about racism or injustice was kind of like a fringe conversation. If you even go back six years before that to 2008, these were the first story, the, the first stirrings of the fact that America may still have an issue and we may still have wounds that have not been healed. Because there was a African American, a true man from Africa who was also American, who ran for president named Barack Obama. And in that era people online begin to, all the things that have been hidden, people online begin, like the closet racists, begin to come out online. And not only that was that happening from majority culture, but from black culture, black people were embracing everything and anything having to do with Obama simply because he was black. Which then showed me that, man, we have issues. And when I say we, I'm not talking those white people or all these black people, I'm going, we have issues. And I was in a prayer meeting. This really happened. I'm in a prayer meeting in a predominantly white culture. No, it was all white. I was the only black guy there. And I, in the prayer meeting, the tone of the prayer meeting was like, oh no, our nation is doomed. And they literally were praying, God, have mercy on America. Give us anybody. But Obama was basically the prayer. I left that prayer meeting and went to a predominantly black prayer meeting that evening. And the tone was, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you for this Moses. So the question is, are we praying to the same God? Are we reading from the same Bible? And I knew we had a problem. 2012, a young man named Trayvon Martin is shot in Sanford, Florida, and all of a sudden we start hearing this term, "No justice, no peace," and we start seeing the stirrings of civil unrest. and 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 okay, this thing is escalating. Two years later, Mike Brown is shot in Ferguson. The whole city explodes. Global protests break out. Tokyo, uh, um, uh, Egypt. Cairo, I mean, ISIS is beheading people in the Middle East, and yet what happened in the middle of the country in Missouri was dominating global headlines, and then for the next five years, in city after city, Charlottesville, Charleston, South Carolina, Dallas, Texas, Oakland, Milwaukee, I mean, all of a sudden, Baltimore, cities, police shootings happen, happen. the Black Lives Matter movement gets a voice in, in Missouri, Ferguson explodes, and we go, it's the flashpoint that then tips. There's a tipping point, and it literally tipped our nation from being a nation with a history of protest to being a nation in a culture of protest. And then movements, the women's movement, the Me Too movement, all these movements spring up where suddenly protest is the first response and the norm, and we haven't been in a culture of this type of uh, of incendiary divisiveness since the '60s. So that sets the tone for where we are. I could I could give you a little bit more more uh, dialogue, but but here's the bottom line: God launches me and my wife on a prayer assignment to Ferguson. We were just going to prayer walk the streets, and the prayer walk turns into a 21 day. It turns into us accidentally or by the supernaturally, I won't go through all the details of the story, supernaturally calling a 21-day fast where 125 churches joined in the fast in the St. Louis region. During that time, God spoke to us and told us to pitch a tent in downtown Ferguson and to begin to worship God and to preach the gospel. We sent evangelism teams out three times a day, and we saw the most profound move of God I've ever seen in my life. In the midst of Molotov cocktails being thrown and civil unrest, the glory of God rode in to Ferguson, Missouri. And I knew in that moment that the great harvest in our nation was coming on the back of the donkey of crisis. And that what I found on the streets of Ferguson was that there were pastors and leaders who had structures. In Matthew 25, it talks about Uh, uh, the women with oil in their lamps and they had all these lamps in these structures, but they had no oil, no revelation, no way to lead a culture when the church is supposed to be leading the racial reconciliation conversation. And furthermore, pastors and leaders and Christians in general around the the nation have had no revelation, even how to engage this conversation. So from that, the Lord has given us a ministry uh, where we literally travel the country and we are equipping the body of Christ with biblical worldview concerning how to marry our theology with our sociology that's right. that's and to right. see Jesus glorified in the midst of it. So good.
0: So good. I love how you finished there because that's exactly the, the kind of where I want to start. I, I think that last statement you just said, how do we marry our theology and our sociology? How do we lead the culture? Because I think the, the, those, the super easy conversation to have right now is what should people out there do better? But we're not going to have that as a pointless conversation. We are the church. We believe we are the people of God. We believe that we should be leading this conversation, leading the healing, leading in all of those sorts of things. So the, that's not what this is about. Like, what should, we're not going to have the, like, and never mind. We're, like, we're not going to go there. I want to talk about us. And that's the big question that I think to ask is like, what does it look like to marry our theology and our sociology in I think the first question that I want to ask is even just narrowing in on, okay, how do, we, how do we do this in church? So our theology, let's talk about our theology for a second. In summary, Revelation 7, can we start there? So after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we get this picture of heaven, every nation, tribe, and tongue, every race, every, everybody from everywhere coming under the name of Jesus. So that's our theology that I mentioned at the beginning. Jesus loves everybody. This is for everybody. Go to all nations. Like, that's the theology. How does that work out sociologically in the church? Because there's a lot of this conversation happening around the church. And just for me personally, even as a church leader, it's like, what are we aiming for? Like, are we aiming for every church has a certain percentage of this, that, and the other, and that's when we know we got diverse? You know what I'm saying? Or, like, what does it, we say, we want heaven to come to earth, and that's what heaven looks like. But what does that look like for it to come to earth? What does it look like? You know, we can talk about how church is the most segregated morning, or Sunday is the most segregated morning in our nation. People will talk about that. And, okay, what about that do we need to talk about and address in, like, What part of that just is what it is in the sense of people, like what part of somebody making a church decision based on race is in the same category as them making the church decision based on location or preaching style or whatever? Because like, it's not like there's a white church and a black church. You know what I'm saying? There's a bunch of different white churches. There's a bunch of different black churches, a bunch of different, all these things. So it's not like everybody's unified. It's just the race is the only thing separating us. But sometimes that's the only way we measure diversity and unity and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, the marriage of theology and sociology, even to put it in a narrow term, on Sunday morning, quote unquote, in church, like, what are we, what are we aiming for?
1: You just asked a lot of questions in that one I know, question. I know, I know. So here, um, but, all, but everything I, got I said it, I got was you. framework. The I question is,
0: what are we aiming for?
1: We are aiming to look like Jesus.
0: Yes. Amen.
1: We're aiming to become more like him. Right. We're aiming to become mature. Mm -hmm. We're aiming to come into fullness. Mm -hmm. Now in Ephesians three, the apostle Paul says, um, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father in heaven from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named that alone is you could you could you could exegete that one scripture I bow my knees before the father from whom the whole family everybody say whole family in heaven you have a family in heaven which is what revelation 7 looks like that family in heaven looks like every tribe every tongue every nation and the family on earth is named and so we have this, this theological reality that he goes on to describe and says through the church, he says, I, he, he prays for us. He says, I pray that together with all the saints, everybody say together with, all the saints, together with all the saints, you would be able to grasp how high, yes how wide, how deep and how long is yes. the love of God. That means it is impossible for you to grasp his height, his depth, and his width, and his length, unless you are grasping it together with all the saints. Yes. And so what we see in Revelation is not only an eternal reality, but there's an eschatological, that means in time, reality. That if our prayers, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, there is an eternal song of salvation happening in heaven and every people group's journey on the earth is actually working in them a song that they will sing every people group, meaning, meaning there is a sound to slavery. In slavery, black people, God gave us, our, my ancestors, a song. And it helped them work in the fields. Oh, Lord, if not me, one day let my children be free. Oh, Lord. And they're they're hoeing the ground. And they found that when they sang, they got more work done. But they also found that they're getting work done in the heavens. They're praying, oh, Lord, if not me, one day let my children's children be free. So they're praying, singing, and working, and they're communicating with one another. This slave's about to run run away that night on the underground railroad I'm gonna go down by the river I'm gonna go down by the river and that was communication meet me down by the river because tonight we're leaving and so God worked a song in us and he's working a song in every single people in person that will culminate in everybody going I sang the song, I thought I was my salvation, that didn't work. I thought Obama was my salvation, that didn't work. I thought Trump was my salvation, and that didn't work. So God is, is exposing every idol, and then we're eventually going to come to the place where we go, oh no, holy is the Lord, he has become my salvation. He alone is worthy, he was the only one that could right. deliver me and heal us. So, to your point. We have to start with that theological and eschatological understanding. Mm -hmm. But secondly, to the point of the churches being divided, there's a lot of practical and historical reasons why the church is most segregated. Some people uh, hear that and they're just like so shocked and, oh, that's powerful, 11 o'clock. Listen, of course, of course we're divided. And the reason why is because your local church is going to look like the people who look like you. They're going to look like the people who live in proximity to you. Now, that's changing more and more in a commuter culture, but historically, churches were established in communities and they were walking distance and they were centers of meeting for people who lived within a certain demographic area and they reflected that demographic. But the problem is, it's not that we're aiming after homogeneity, uh, a a homogenous worship expression. The problem is, when our cultural preferences, traditions, and experiences transcend our hunger for God. The bottom line is I grew up in a black church where I never heard a preacher preach until the, he didn't start preaching until the organ started playing. Mm -hmm. And his voice shifted. Oh God, today we worship you. And I remember remember being at a a conference because I was hungry for God and it was all white people. And nobody in the room had on a suit in every church I went through to, you wear a suit to church. And that's there's history to that, too, because black people worked, you know, lowly jobs and white people worked jobs where they had to wear suits. So for white folks, come as you are, wear a T-shirt. It's fine. That was like a cool thing to do. Whereas for black people, on Sunday, if you're a janitor or a, a field worker, you put on a suit and a nice hat and a dress, and you have dignity and honor. Right. And in that place, you're you're an equal. Do you see what I'm trying to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. But all that to say, I remember being at one of these places where it was a white guy preaching, and he says, and for my last point, um, I'm going to close <laughs> with this. I'm like, I, look, I was like, he's closing? <laughs> like, how... He hadn't even started preaching it. Like, I'm waiting on the music to shift. I'm waiting on it. The, and then he's like, it's now we're going to worship God together. It's like, this was in the alternative rock era, early 90s. And he's like, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, what kind of cult is this? I'm like, this cannot be God. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is not holy. Right. And it was so weird. But my hunger for God caused me to come back and to be willing to be the minority and be completely uncomfortable with a a worship experience that was totally outside of my framework and my culture because I realized that, like Paul said, together with all the saints, my view of God, all of a sudden I realized he was still saved just because he wore flip-flops on the platform. Oh my gosh, his worship, he's still worshiping the same God. This worship also encompasses who God is. And so the, the challenge is, can you, if God told one of you in the majority culture to go right now and join a Hispanic church where you don't know any English and serve in that congregation and sit under the leadership of a Hispanic pastor, could you do it? That's the question.
0: So let's let's dig into that because I think that's really powerful. There's a lot of things going through my head. <clears throat> you talked about how the whole racism conversation has even come more to the forefront of the conversation, the cultural conversation in the last 5-11 years, you know, since 2000 or 12 years, you know, like things have bubbled to the surface. Um and there's a lot to talk about in that and like it didn't come from nowhere like you said there was some stuff that finally came out that's obviously that matters so that is i think reflected in the church that that conversation has also bubbled to the top and there's like all these it's become part of the framework of measuring how good a church is or is the church doing okay or should i be at this church you see what i'm saying like if it, is it diverse enough? Are we going after the diversity thing enough? So, and the question: What are we aiming for? Your 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 point of we're aiming for hunger for God is really interesting because there's not a metric for that, you know. Yeah.
1: And but, and the and the reality though is a much the the mature bride that Jesus is coming back for is not going to be. The, the reality this is the hard reality is the church in general is does not look like jesus right now it doesn't our lack of diversity is it's just a sign of it but there's a lot of practical things but the reality is we have we've made idols out of our culture our ethnicity and our political identities mm-hmm. And so what God is looking back is for a church, is coming back for it, is a church that is rooted in our heavenly identity first. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, by default, the, the, the nature of our local churches are going, going to look radically different. Yeah. Because you can't get God's heart and not go after God's people. And most of the time, God's, Paul was a Jew who was an apostle, a bondservant to the Gentiles, So the very foundation of the gospel is that God actually sends you to people who aren't like you.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. If you're not discipling somebody that doesn't look like you, think like you, act like you, come from where you come from, chances are there's still some formation of Jesus to be done in your life. Mm
0: -hmm. Which of course there is.
1: Which of course (laughs) there is. And that's (laughs) the humility of it, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: That's good. Okay, so I love that. So let's expand maybe the conversation because the conversation we're trying to have, really, and we, we were talking about this, is that like we were saying, we don't, we're don't we not trying to have a race conversation, we're having a Jesus conversation. And so that's part of it, you know? And so even in the, the framework of tonight, talking about race, culture, and church, I think what you were just talking about is the idols that we've raised up in church out of race and culture culture and everything that embodies there. So just for fun, let's dig into that a little bit more. And like, you know, we should lead the culture, but I think so often we're led by the culture and we're talking so often about trying to fit in and be like everybody else that we don't look like anything different than what we got saved out of, you know, and we get watered down and all that kind of stuff. So again, as the church and as the people of God, what, I don't know. Just let's talk. I don't know. I don't even have like a big question, but let's talk about that. Like,
1: well, Luke, what do Luke, you see? Luke twelve was a passage of scripture that used to baffle me. In Luke twelve, Jesus says, "Do you think that I came to bring peace?" And he goes, "No, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "I came to divide mother against daughter-in-law." Daughter against father. I mean, like every family division that you can think of, he says it right there. I came to bring a sword and bring division. And I'm like, how is this possible? You're the prince of peace. You didn't come to bring peace. Right. And then I realized when Ferguson happened, I saw how we tribed up. Especially, I mean, Facebook is a great list litmus test. You can see where people's allegiance is really like cause stuff they're not bold enough to say to your face they will go all in on Facebook that's right and what i found is that in general humans are tribal we are divided we will divide we will tribe up now black folk in general are tribal cuz we come from africa you know it's like so we think with a tribal mentality you do with you do if one black guy is successful it's like we did it you know <laughs> It's like Tyler Perry opens the large studio. It's like, you know what we did? We opened the studio. bro. you ain't opened no studio. You work at McDonald's. But it's like, it's us. And I remember it's like, I, you know, you watch the news. Uh, uh, woman raped, blah, 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 blah. And the whole time you're going, this is awful. I hope it's not a black guy. And then the mugshot pops up and it's black. You're like, oh, man. Because you know that because of our history, he represents me. So now, every white person that just saw that news report and saw the black guy who looks something like me, now that person's afraid of me. I don't even know this guy, but all that to say, we're tribal, and so if we're not divided by ethnicity, the greatest example is our allegiance to our sports teams. I love you until Super Bowl Sunday. I got to have my tribe that I identify with. And so what Jesus came to do is he says, I came to divide all of your allegiances. And I came to even cut you from your natural family's bloodline if that's preventing you from serving me. So then in Matthew uh, 12, I believe, in Matthew 12, Jesus is eating with his, he's hanging out with his disciples. And somebody comes over and says, Jesus, your mother, your brother, and your sisters are here. And he looks at them and he goes, who is my mother and my brother and my sisters? Now, if I said that, i get slapped. My mama's like, after everything I've done for you, you better know who I am. But Jesus goes, well, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? And he says, truly, I say to you, the one who does the will of my father is my brother, my mother, and my sister. In other words, when you come into the kingdom of God, all of your earthly tribal identities take a backseat. You're born in the first Adam. I was born in Adam. My Adamic identity is as a black man in America with all of the culture and the beauty and the history and the tragedy and the sorrow that comes with it, and I'm grateful for it. But when I step, if this table is the blood of Jesus, once I pass through the cross, Ephesians 2 says that he took upon himself The enmity contained between the two. This is talking Jew and Gentile. And it says, so that he might create within himself one new man. Everybody say one new man. Second Corinthians five says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It says, behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. We are a new creation for real, which basically means your European, Scandinavian, African, all that identity, it doesn't go away but it doesn't become the definition of who you are because you're born in the second Adam, which is now you're a part of a heavenly family that consists of the Asians, the African Americans, the Africans, the, the, uh, you know, whatever, the Malaysians, whatever it may be, this is now your family. So why should you care about black history? It's your history. Why should you care about those black people? Those black people are actually your brothers and sisters. And so if I tell you a story about my slave grandmothers and forefathers, you could go, Well, my family never owned slaves, and that's great for you, but you know, I'm not black, that has nothing to do with me. If we're now brothers in Christ, those brothers in Christ who were black or enslaved who knew Jesus are now your ancestors. Wait, did y'all y'all didn't catch that? They're a part of your family, even. There's, a, there's no proverb that says, when my enemy got closer to me, I realized he was my brother. Yep. So then the question becomes, who is your neighbor? Right. That's good. <laughs> so the, the sword that God brought, he's been bringing it as a judgment to the church that leads to maturity. The judgments of God have been on the land in America for many years, but specifically in the area of racism and nationalism. And he used Obama to expose people's hearts as like a juggernaut to to like shake everything up. Then the very people who could not stand Obama the people who loved Obama, God says, I'm gonna give you a king that looks like the extreme that's in your heart. This is what's in your heart. Then he says to the white, majority, conservative, whatever community, I'm gonna give you a king that looks like what's in your heart. And both of them are both judgments and blessings. There's a sword, there's there's a sword in the land and it's dividing and it's actually showing. Obama was a judgment from God on America through the, some of the ideological policies that he advanced that were in opposition to the gospel, but he also, God, used Obama as a blessing to heal wounded hearts from millions upon millions who were alive growing up in the Jim Crow era in America and never thought they would see somebody of that complexion in the White House. So when God does something, it's a sword, it's double-edged, it's judgment and blessing. It's a great word. And then he sent Trump, who is a manifestation of some of the most outrageous, prideful, bigotry, uh, egotistical stuff. And yet God is also using him to bring forth some righteous decrees that have needed to happen. In the process, how we respond to it is how God is exposing us and exposing our allegiances. Will you love me tonight and then hate me tomorrow if I post something on Facebook that's in opposition to your political view?
0: Right, right.
1: And God's saying, I'm exposing your hearts right, right now. That's right. I'm exposing your immaturity because I want you to come out from your idolatry and come up into your sonship and your citizenship.
0: It's great stuff. There's a lot of places we could go.
1: I know, I said a lot right no, there. I love it, I love Sorry, it. Sorry, bro. No,
0: no, no, no. Oh, no, well, it's good. I like it. Um, let's. I want to go back. And this is one of those things that could, that I feel like could get me stoned, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Say it, bro. So, say it. Yeah. So let's go back to. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm gonna say it. Dude. Listen, this is what
1: I want to say, y'all. This is what I'm saying. Like, we we do these forums a lot, and I I'm I'm kind of raw. Yeah. And you gotta understand, I I've spent five years in a city that literally exploded. Right. Where you had people in your face. You had people in Sunday morning services. Like activists, imagine being here at Antioch on a Sunday morning and you guys are in worship and then the whole back row stands up and goes, you white people, you're in here worshiping, you don't care about what's going on in the streets. That kind of stuff was happening. Yeah. I'm talking about explosion. Yeah. And when that happens, when a city comes unhinged, imagine all of Indianapolis and the suburbs coming completely unhinged. Yeah. You got to look at everything. Yeah. The church becomes a bathroom. And like all the nice politically nuanced talk and like cultural sensitivity, it goes out the door. So I don't realize how raw I am sometimes until after a form and somebody's like, I can't believe he said that. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just say it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah. Because the, the right. point is we have to get to the real stuff right. and then say, God, come and heal us. Yeah. And that's you what know? I want to
0: do is get to a real thing. Because the the when, it, when the rubber hits the road, it gets dicey on a lot of this stuff. So even going back to the ancestor thing, which I loved what you were saying and agree with everything you're saying completely. And I think it's so powerful what you're saying about uh, your grandma becomes my sister, you know? And just like, we could all chew on that in every direction for the rest of our life and that's amazing. There is, there's a sentiment in white Jesus people, that I think wants to ask the question, well, okay, how does that go the other way too? Yeah. How do I love you slash us and your ancestors slash my ancestors? Okay, I'm, yes. How does that go the other way though too? And I'm not the bad guy just because I'm white or I'm not like, my I didn't own slaves. And so, yeah. some, but sometimes it feels like I'm looked at like a slave owner.
1: Yeah. It's a great question. What we have to understand is that in America, we've had a civil war. First of all, we've had not 250 years of slavery, 400 years. When you build a nation on the ideological premise that God has actually given you the authority to build the nation that way, Uh, what happens is, so on on the issue of the definition of systemic injustice what you have is systems, structures, and institutions that were built on the premise that a certain group of people are not people at all. Right. Right. You don't undo that in 20 years, 40 years, or 50 years. We're My great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, who I had dialogue with in my early years in my life, was born on a slave plantation. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that the momentum of history, what Americans in particular have very short memories. Half of us don't even remember what happened at Ferguson, and that was recent history. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to the Middle East, they're still mad about stuff that happened 3,000 years ago. Right. Fresh, I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. you <laughs> did this to my grandfather. No, but when it's real. in 8022, like, no. you know what I'm saying? It's like what, you know? But we're we're so about but forward progress. But if you not been
0: there, it's like for real.
1: For yeah, real. it's like we're like, so about forward progress, yes. moving on. It's like news cycles that happened two weeks ago. It's like yeah, when did that happen? What was that? Yes. Yes. So we have short memories. So it's really hard to grasp the momentum of history and the generational impact of it. Okay. But saying that, if I was able to have a conversation with someone who now granted the disclaimer is it was not an operating slave plantation, but it was that she was born on the plantation for which her parents were slaves. And it still operated very similar, except now it was indentured uh, servitude when she was born. So they got paid for it a little bit, you know, kind of. But they had nowhere else to go when slavery was, when emancipation happened. So all that to say, if I can, as a 38-year-old man, have a conversation with somebody who can describe in detail what an operating slave plantation looked like within her lifetime, do you understand what I'm saying? Then that means this is not just some far-away history book. And so then my own dad grew up in Jim Crow America. He was 24, 25 before he ever walked through the front door of a public building. He had to go through the colored. You know the colored doors. He remembers. He, he He's traumatized. So I do pastoral ministry. And I'll counsel guys. In their 60's. Who were abused at like 4 years old. And the trauma. That turns this 66 year old man. Into an alcohol. You get to the root of it. And it was an uncle who abused him at 66. In the first 4 years of his life. If you experienced the first 25 years of your life in the Jim Crow South where a whole people group not only told you but treated you, you could get lynched or anything could happen if you looked at a white person in the face and that wasn't an isolated incident. You're talking about tens of millions of African Americans who are alive today. And if that was their cultural reality 40 years ago, Do you understand what I'm saying? 45 years ago, the level of trauma within a people group is unprecedented. Now, the only way that you can be healed emotionally, psychologically, physically from that is through the supernatural work of Jesus Christ. Only God can heal that. And the the issue is, so the reason why. You see such the weaponization of those white people and you owe me and you this and you that is if you if you adopt not I'm not calling my people a dog, but if you adopt a dog that's been abused, it takes you a very long time to gain its trust. You can't even approach the cage without getting bit. You can't approach it. And so what what the cultural response from black from the black community has revealed is that we've had a civil rights movement, but that was a band aid to an infected wound that history caused. And that wounding has been passed down generationally, and now we have what Dr. Joy DeGruy calls post traumatic slave syndrome. You have post traumatic stress syndrome, and then you have post traumatic slave syndrome, where you actually are responding to history's injustices that many people still live in the fruit of today whether it's their community and the zoning and all the different things that restrictive covenants that um, separate social classes and all these different things. So, so you have that. So what we have to do, what we as minorities and people groups who have experienced histories of oppression due to the fall of man, that's what it is. It's not white people. I mean, all across the globe, there is no people group that has not endured some sort of oppression. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately due to sin and to the right. fall of man. What we have to do is be reconciled to God. And that is, we have to reconcile not only our hearts to God through salvation, but we have to ask God to reconcile our histories. What is the redemptive purpose behind the pain of our experience? And God, what is the redemptive calling on white people? Yeah, Lord, what is their... their Europeans aren't just the evil of the earth. <laughs> but I might believe that. Right. And if that's the truth, God, give me a revelation of why and how you're going to restore and reconcile all things in this culture. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's so good. So, so that's all incredible truth. And we, each and every one of us has a part to play in that. Because you said the only way this stuff gets healed is by the supernatural work of God. And so much of the supernatural work of God happens in the way that the church loves one another. It's right. power or it's packed with potential the way that we love one another. And that's true, not just in racial reconciliation, but in all kinds of things. I mean, all kinds of things, <laughs> you know? So much gets healed in healthy Jesus people, love and community when we learn how to love each other well in those places. So how do we, how do, we do that together? How do we love each other? What does it look like to love each other well for, for me as a white person, to, to 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 love and under get in and understand. Okay, there's a lot going on that I don't have a grid for. And how does it look for you to love me in the same way? Like, yeah, pra- you know, what do we, where do we it, go?
1: It's it's Micah six eight. Walk humbly, mm-hmm. act justly, love mercy. Yeah. How do we walk humbly? Well, the first thing is, if I'm an angry black man and I come into your church, Pastor Andrew, and I'm like, yo, you don't want to talk about race issues. You don't want to talk about my pain. You don't want to talk about my injustice. Y'all up here in Castleton in your nice suburb, while my people out here on the streets dying. You know, now your response, even if I could be right, Mm -hmm. I might be in a wrong spirit. But the question is, if you love mercy, you're going to go, what? You know what? I want to hear what you're saying. Yes. Isaiah 42 uh, describes the justice of Jesus. It describes him as the man justice. It says, behold, my servant upon whom I have placed my spirit. He will bring justice to the nations. It says a burning wick he will not put out and a, uh, a bruised reed he will not break. This is critical. A lot of the the criticism of the church has been, particularly among millennials, has been, well, the church doesn't care about justice issues. I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm going elsewhere. This whole conversation, because these types of foreigns haven't been happening, um, people are leaving the faith and embracing these other ideologies. Well, so if the church is burning wick, the light of the church is dim on this issue, what can happen is we can go, you guys aren't talking about it, and you, your fire, the wind that you're b- blowing on that can actually extinguish the desire to even understand. Yeah. Wow. So when a white person sits down with me and they're like, Pastor J I I just do not understand. Why do black people do this? Whatever they say, they could. it could be the most racist and ignorant thing I've ever heard. But I'm not going to put out the the small understanding that they have by shutting them down and go, you know what? I can't believe you asked me that question.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: I can't believe you just called me a such and such. You just called me a nigger and you didn't even know you called me a nigger. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to love mercy. And I'm going to give them space to work out whatever they're working out. I'm going to be merciful. And secondly, I'm going to walk humbly. And if i he says, black people did this to me. I don't agree with blah blah blah. My mom was robbed and my dad was killed by a black man and la-da-da-da-da. What I'm gonna do is walk humbly and I'm gonna take it. Your family didn't own slaves. Okay, great. But if him hearing you genuinely have sorry, sorrow in your heart for the people who did own slaves, and you say, you know what, I am so sorry for what my people did to you. I am so sorry that we enslaved you and not lean on well. I, I'm sorry. Don't accuse me. I didn't know. No, no, no. Jesus was innocent. But what did he do? I'm guilty. I'll take the punishment. Yeah, right, right. Because it's, every whip that he took that he did not deserve was accomplishing healing. So are you willing to become an intercessor to bridge the gap and take a beating if it's going to bring healing? And that's white or black. Right. For the black man, are you, who's in a predominantly white space, are you willing to stay there and be willing to let them touch your hair? Some people understand what I'm talking about. Look, look, my sister, my black sister just went, oh, Lord, I don't know about that. Nah, you ain't touching my hair. But that's like a question we get out. At, like I used to get it from the time I was like in fifth yeah. grade. It's like, yeah. hey, can I touch your hair? Right. What do you guys use? Do you, do you right. use motor oil on your hair? Like, do you use motor oil on your hair? Right. I mean, like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, does that help? Yeah, no,
0: it's so good. Act justly.
1: I mean, don't, just, don't just demand justice from others. How are you working out and acting justly and righteously in your life?
0: Right, right. No, I love it because, I mean, you are, you are preaching the gospel. You're not talking about racial reconciliation. I mean, you are, but it's because you're preaching the gospel. And I think what you're talking about is, a, it, is a, it is a exhortation, a correction, a rebuke and encouragement to the, to the people of God in general and our lack of living those things out as a lifestyle in every relationship that has dug us into hole after hole after hole. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about at the beginning about all of our idols and all of this stuff. Whenever we're not acting justly, loving, mercy, and walking humbly, it's because we're worshiping an idol over Jesus. We're choosing that thing. We're choosing something to get. We're, we're worshiping something other than Jesus. Is my point. Yeah. And so that it plays out politically, it plays out in the way that we offend each other in our families. It plays out in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and what somebody said on Nextdoor.com. And you know, like all yeah. these like all these things. It's like I'm worshiping my privacy over Jesus because I'd rather have my privacy than love you. You know, and I think it, that translates then to this racial conversation. I think that's so powerful. FYI, it's eight o'clock. We're going till eight thirty. So I know we said eight, but if you gotta leave, you gotta leave. That's cool. But sorry, I I set I set the time before I actually knew what we were gonna do, and then once we realized what we were gonna do, I was like, hey, "It's gonna take longer than an hour." So um, we're just gonna keep going. If you gotta leave, that's great. Um, so you guys doing all right? Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, you can like. I I'm loving this conversation. If you guys can walk out, I'm interested, I'm learning. Um, so something that I, I've been thinking about and I'd be interested in you with what you're saying. And um, <laughs> this, this fits in a category of, um, and I would say at least here in, in my personal life and it seems like in our, in my, in our city, the last like, uh, when Charlottesville happened, everything was hot. Like, everybody was hot about this stuff. And it it seems like in this city, it is not at that temperature anymore. It's toned down from there, not to say it hasn't come up from what normal was before that. So in the heat of all of that, when it seemed like every conversation that you had with anybody looped back around to that, there was this thing that was going through my head that was sort of in this category of like, something I wish I could tell all white people and maybe there's something you wish you could tell all black people or you could tell all white people. I, mean, I don't know, that'd be an interesting, weird conversation to have. But the thing was, like it was when Black Lives Matter was like, was going on in Dallas happened and Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, all these sort of things. And so Facebook was hot and all the time. And it was, the, the, the thing that was helpful for me, the challenge to me as a believer was, am I gonna, am I gonna choose to focus more on the truth than the facts? because they're really different things. And that's what I learned just in in observing the culture and realizing that's where I think the church, in my opinion, I was like, that's where I wish I could see the church step up and lead the culture, is caring more about truth than the facts because everybody has their own facts. And everybody everybody has maybe, or at least the facts they cherry pick to justify their emotions or position or opinion in a given time. And they're still facts. They're not wrong. And I realized how many conversations I was having with people or things I was reading online where it's like, well, this study said this, and this study said that, and they were addressing the same question and came up with two totally different statistics. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, okay. It feels like that's what we're living in, is like, well, I feel this way because of this, 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 and this, and it's all true. And somebody else is like, well, I feel the opposite of that because of these, these, this, and this, and this, which is also true. And I saw so many white people and black people not being able to have a conversation because our facts didn't line up, or or at least some facts were in question. I mean, all you gotta do is look at one of the cases of the police brutality stuff. It's like the facts get presented. Well, those aren't actually the facts, and it's like, okay, well, that might even that might be true, but all we know is what we at least you know it's complicated, but what we lose in the midst of getting in the what we lose in the conversation about facts is the truth that it was like i remember when dallas happened and so many christians were up in arms about not even caring for either the women the black women who lost a husband or the wives of police officers who died they were too busy fighting about which one was more true, black lives matter or blue lives matter. And it's like, can we just stop for a second and consider the truth that like, that child doesn't have a dad anymore? And can we just like deal with that for a second? The truth that people are scared, people are hurting, people are confused. And to your point about the, 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 white, the white person's like, the truth that he's trying, Or like what, and just seeking God and saying like, God, what's the, what's the truth in this moment about somebody? Does that make any sense? I don't know. I'd be interested in your thoughts. No, no,
1: it's, it's the reason why we named our organization, our movement, really civil righteousness is because Jesus's justice agenda doesn't begin with our exteriors. When crisis happens, when anything happens, you know, even on a minor scale to you, like Somebody, you get in an accident, and the first thing is, well, whose fault is it? It's your fault. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's your fault. Like, and you shouldn't have been doing this. You should change the way you're driving. But, but Jesus' justice agenda begins with internal transformation that leads to external reformation. So it's an internal change that leads to an external change. That's, that's always his agenda. That's why the Pharisees hated him, because he walks in with Mary Magdalene and... They're like, you're hanging out with a prostitute. And he's like, yeah, boy, you're just sitting here imagining how you could get with her. Right. So you've already committed adultery. And they're yeah. like, oh, snap, he's discerning <laughs> my thoughts and my heart. Yeah. And so what God is after is in Joel 2. Rend your heart, break your heart and not your clothes. Because the Hebrew way of dealing with grief was to tear down your clothes, to rip your garments and our way of dealing with grief is to rip the system. We need to, we hate the way America is. We need to change the system, tear it down. You know, we got to change the presidency. We got to change this. And God's like, no, 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 change your heart. Yeah. Change your heart. Yeah. Like you, everybody, yeah. like you start there. And so and we And his do-
0: instruction starts with the church. So it starts with the church. Church change your heart, not yeah. culture change your heart. No, no, no.
1: Heart. It's, 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 it's you, you. He has a, God has a controversy with our controversies. Yes. He's going, the thing that you call controversy, I'm calling bluff on. The controversy is that that controversy has a higher priority. You're more passionate about your political stance and your ethnic Uh stance than you are the Uh gospel. You've Uh told more people about who you're voting for and why you're voting than you've ever told about Jesus dying on the cross for you. You have an idol issue.
0: That's good, bro.
1: He's destroying the idols. He's coming after it right now. If your if zeal for the house of your ethnicity exceeds zeal for the house of God, you have an right. issue. Black, white, Hispanic, right. it doesn't matter. That's if you're right. more passionate about immigration and refugees and all this stuff, then you are Jesus. You have an idol in your life. So he's coming after it. From every angle and every level. And he comes hard. And he comes hard, and he keeps pressing the issue. So I'm here to tell you, just because people aren't talking about Charlottesville and Indianapolis, and there's no protest, the wound is still there. It's still simmering. Right. We are one police shooting, one confrontation at a public uh, restaurant. It could happen at the restaurant next door right now, and next thing you know, Indianapolis is on national news, and everything's blowing up. Right. So we can't be a responsive people. We have to be a responsible people. And we have to actually take what Matthew 24 says, which is this. In the last days, one of the signs of the coming of Jesus is in the last days, nation, anytime you see nation in the Bible, that's ethnos. Ethnicity will rise against ethnicity. And kingdom against kingdom. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, false prophets, all these different things. But one of the signs of Jesus's imminent return is the increase of racism and racial conflict. Oh, so what does that mean? What it means is we're going to be defined by what kingdom we have allegiance to. And if you hold on to your your ethnic allegiances higher than your kingdom of God allegiances, God uses that to determine whether or not you're in the kingdom of God at all. Because if you're in the kingdom of God, you identify in the pain because 1 Corinthians says that we're one and that basically we're as strong as the weakest member of our body. Do do you understand what I'm talking about? So if we're part of one body and this ethnic group is struggling, then that means you're struggling.
0: It's a great word.
1: Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes, sir. It's not oh those poor Hispanics oh those poor black people no it's oh my gosh those it's those us. those white it's not oh those racist white people it's like oh no my family those yes. white people yes I need you you need me and Jesus didn't come for unity he didn't come U- unity is really an Old Testament this is, this is controversial without the time to unpack it theologically unity. In Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Great. But unity can be broken. We can be united on some things and completely disunited or something can come and disrupt unity. But nothing can disrupt oneness. So Jesus' prayer in John 17 wasn't, Lord, I pray that they would be united as you and I are united. That wasn't the prayer. He said, I pray that they would be one. One person. One. Jesus accomplished oneness through the cross. So if we strive for unity, we're, re- we're aiming for a lower goal. But when we get the gospel and we become one, oh right. my gosh. Right. We're one person. We're yeah. one family with many expressions and sounds and sights. Oh, right. but we're one.
0: Yeah. And see, that's where I would use the same word of unity and oneness, where I, I wouldn't separate that. I think you are i'm not saying you're right or wrong i'm just saying the yeah. point of the takeaway isn't tonight of oh
1: yeah unity you. Is an
0: old school deal we're not going for sameness you know like yeah. we're not going for we all look the same act the same back to our church services yeah. that's not the point that it's every every ethnicity that we can think of is represented in an equal percentage and everybody gets a little bit of their culture expression you know it's like that's not we can do that but like that's It's not like when we did that, the heavens open up and we're like, that's what we've been shooting for, you know? So we're not shooting for sameness, but um, I was just listening to uh, T.D. Jakes and his wife do a series uh, at his church in the last couple of weeks, which Model Homes Parts 1 and 2 on YouTube. If you are ever in any type of relationship whatsoever, check it out. One thing that was so powerful that he was talking about in marriage, and I, I paused and I told Heather, I was like, this makes me think about this conversation, is he was talking about the, the power and the necessity for celebrating and making space for each other's differences in the covenant of marriage. Yeah. So you are unified. You are one, but yeah. you are not the same. Right. And I'm not trying to make you the same. Mm-hmm. And actually, he whatever, let's we'll go into this. He started talking about how, you know, so often the person that we marry, we marry them because they're different. And part of the reason I want to marry you because you're so different, this is true of me and Heather. She is the, so opposite of me in so many ways. And part of the reason that, that was so attractive is because there's an element of I needed her to save me from myself in some things. Right. I need you to calm me down. I need you to slow me down. I need you to change me because of who you are. So we get married and we become one but then the things that attracted me can become the things that annoy me.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And all of a sudden, instead of me trying to let you save me, I start trying to save you. And so how do we work out unity, oneness, whatever? And so the, the, my point, the point that they made that I thought was so powerful was I said that my, my takeaway was, and I think this is exactly what we're talking about, what Jesus was talking about, is what what does unity look like it's not a that's not a racial word it's it's a missional word right what's the mission cuz we can be headed in the sa- headed after the same thing and still do it different ways and be on the same team right if you look at a basketball team if you look at a football team the quarterback and the safety are extremely different and don't do anything the same play in the same game on the same field with the same ball with the same rules and the goal is not that they become more similar whatsoever. right? But there's still, there's a celebration of differences. There's a space for it. But there's still a deep bond of unity because of the mission.
1: I, I want to just hit on that because there's so much that we, we just don't have time for. But to that point, God is running a ball down the field. mm and his team is the church.
0: And it's not Antioch Indy.
1: It's not Antioch Indy. It's it's Antioch Indy and First Presbyterian yeah. and the United Methodists and the black missionary Baptists right. and the Church of God in Christ. And it, it's all these. And it's then every. So if you think about race or I don't even like using the race, the, the term race, because there's one race. It's the human race. But there are many ethnicities within that race. And many cultures tied to those ethnicities. So, uh, but if you think about it, God is running a ball down the field and he's given every culture a yes. unique role yes. to play in running that ball down the field. Amen. And so there are certain things that certain cultures can do better than anybody else.
0: Mm.
1: Every, I, I Seriously. I can't my wife when we lived in Indianapolis was on a competitive salsa team. And so she would go out to these like it was wild, they would do the bachata. Any Latino folks in here today? The bachata. There is there I can practice all I want. I thought I thought I was good. Like they they these Hispanic guys, you know, I'm like dun 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 beep, boom and I'm like yeah I got this and then the Hispanic guys get out there and they're like oh Whoops. yeah wow.
0: yeah and
1: I was like yo I'm like I I, I can practice my whole life right. and I will never be able to do naturally what just flows in their blood. You can sing all you want to, white girl, but you cannot sing like Whitney Houston. (laughs) You cannot sing it like Aretha Franklin because her culture and her her culture's history has produced a sound and a gift. Yeah, it doesn't mean she's superior to you. No offense to Asian folks, but I have never met a dumb Asian. Is that if that might if that's offensive, I'm sorry but there's such a value from in certain parts of asian cultures on education that the ones that come to america are doing amazing and they're some of the smartest people i've ever met and i'm going like whoa what if the redemptive gifting on certain you know groups of people like certain like the chinese and the japanese is is like just the, like supernatural intelligence i spoke at harvard and everybody in the room was asian i kid you not the minority were some of the white guys and girls all that to say i'm like Yo, yep. we all have a role to play, and we all have a redemptive gifting in the plan of God to redeem the nations of the earth and to fill yep. the earth with his glory. Right. And so what we have to do is recognize it and celebrate it yes. and go, look, I need you in order to finish the Great Commission. I need your gift. I need what you bring That's to the right. table. We, right. need. Right. we need one another to That's do right. this
0: thing. That's right. That's right. And it, it's true of the ethnicities. It's true of the gifts. It's true of the, I mean it's complex and I, that's, that's so powerful. That gets complicated because, so back to the sociology of some of this stuff, we are not supposed to be the same, but we're supposed to be valued the same. Right. And I think that's where some of the politics get really hard to talk about. And not, I'm not even saying agree on, we don't have to agree on at all, but I don't even know if we should open up that can. But just a thought, like, because there's, there seems to be, it seems, it seems that that, okay, here's what I'm trying to say. That looks like a huge opportunity. This, what we're talking about seems like a massive opportunity for us as the church and the people of God to lead the culture in, in to lead the culture in celebrating our differences but valuing each other equally. Because it seems like the culture has not, culture has a hard time separating those two things it seems it seems like it's either make everybody the same and that means everybody's valued the same but that's or don't worry about it everybody's different so don't try to fix anything or don't try to don't try to address the the system of anything cuz there's not really a problem cuz we're all different you see what i'm saying does it make any sense it does make sense great what else should we talk about then <laughs>
1: Well, the, the foundation, so the government, it goes back to eschatology, like Jesus is coming to the earth to rule and reign. That's actually what's happening. Yes. And the increase of his government is what Isaiah said, And of peace, there shall be no end. There is a real government coming to the earth. And Psalm, uh, in, in the book of Psalms, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Mm -hmm. Righteousness with justice. Righteousness, right thinking, right living, living according to the the law of God, the decrees of God, the edicts of heaven, is is righteousness, being in right alignment with him. And justice are the foundation, meaning a righteousness that manifests in the civil and social arenas. The government of God, that's the foundation. So what we've had in conservative and liberal camps is you have liberals who are all about justice, 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 and that's like the buzzword, but righteousness is a byword. Then you got conservative camps that are all about righteousness, righteousness, and morality, blah, 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 and justice is a byword. That's great. Well, stop talking about Black Lives Matter if y'all are shooting each other, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. It's justice with righteousness. Yes. It's righteousness with justice. It's powerful, and that is the that is the foundation of his government. Yeah. And that is the, the, right, the right way of understanding who Jesus is. Yeah. And so, what does God, how does he invite the multi-ethnic, multicultural bride of Christ into extending righteousness with justice into the culture? That is what there's a biblical precedent and blueprint for. And it's been given to us in 2 Corinthians 5. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You and I. Can no other movement solve the issue? The other thing that I want to say is that there are these things called powers, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. And the only authority, so imagine over Indianapolis, there really is, by the way, there is a throne, there's a there's there's a government set up in the heavenlies over cities and nations and there is a throne of iniquity over indianapolis there is a demonic power seated on that throne that dictates what every demon in this city does all right that spirit is fueled and connected by lots by lot there's lots of ways that that thing gets its power so those things are ancient These thrones of iniquity have been over cities and regions dictating the hearts of men and women for centuries and thousands and thousands of years. This is a real reality. And so what these demonic powers do is try to get leaders and rulers in office that legislate the destruction of the image of God within man. So racism is not just a a system Racism is hatred for the image of God within man. Because in John, 1 John, it says, this is how you discern the spirit of the Antichrist. Anyone who says that Jesus has not come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. And what Jesus has done is come in the flesh of every skin and culture. What I'm trying to say is there is a unique image of God within your wife and within, within the male and the female. Right. You can get a, a picture of the mother heart of God and the father heart of God by looking at a man and a woman. So in the same way, sorry for where you stand on this, but the bottom line is transgenderism is actually hatred for what God looks like. Mm. Let's blur the gender lines and right. do away with gender altogether right. and do away with that boundary. And by right. doing that, you will not understand God's Feminine nature or his male nature. You'll have a convoluted view of who he is. So in the same way, if there's a, a, a revelation or an understanding of God that we get by seeing the way Asians worship or the way uh, uh, Africans, uh, uh, African tribe worships and you go, uh, I hate that. What you're saying is I hate the way Jesus looks in the skin and your cultural expression. I'm resisting that. So these demons have been waging war on our ability to see Jesus in one another, and they've been dictating what happens in the land. So what's happened throughout history is that times have changed, laws have changed, seasons have changed, movements have happened, regimes have risen and fallen, governments have changed, all these different things And those demons are still sitting there laughing the whole time. He's like, you think that justice is going to come if you just get another law, if you just get another president, if you just get somebody like this, (laughs) we're still in control. But you know what Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, he says the ecclesia is a ruling governing body. I'm preaching about this a little bit tomorrow. God has given us the authority to ascend into the heavens and he seated us with Christ. I got to stand up. Sorry. He has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies far above the powers and the principalities. And Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. So the only authority, this is what Paul said in Ephesians, he says, through the church I will make known the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means multifolds, many folds, multifaceted, like a diamond. If you look at a diamond and you look at it in the right light, what's it look like? Many colors. He goes, I'm going to make known to the rulers, the powers and principalities, the multicolored wisdom of God through the church. In other words, your local church doesn't have To be ethnically diverse, but when it is, you get authority in the heavens. When it is, it is a display that shakes powers and principalities and literally unseats and and cuts the power cords from from the hearts of men. Only the church can rise, only a unified multi-ethnic and multi-cultural expression of church in a region has the authority, together with all the saints, to take a stand and actually to, to tear down principalities and powers over a region. And that's why, that's why St. Louis is the power center for our nation, because lots of historical laws that were passed there. Uh, St. Louis is on the banks of the Mississippi, and it was the seat. It's actually the, 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 the demonic seat of the principality of racism over our nation.
0: So Is that just free there at the end? Yeah. Yeah, just throw that in. We don't have time in. to go. go ahead throw, throw that in. No, it's so good, man. <clears throat> so I think there's been some questions coming I think you've done a really good job of talking about a lot of these things. Um, Thank
1: you, guys. Thanks I mean, for hanging in there. Give yourselves yeah. a round of applause.
0: <laughs> so I think just in these last five minutes combined, let's share just like a, if you have a, just a, a parting thought along the lines of where do we go from here? One one thing. Somebody can walk out of here and deal with in themselves, you know, to take a step towards helping, and then we'll pray and we'll try to get that done in the next four minutes. How's that sound? Okay. So I'll go first because I'm not going to say something Please. as good as you. So you can be the you can be the best thing at the end. I would say I think that the what you've talked about and it, and it stirs up things that I've been think that just what what's true the question that I think each and every one of us has to seriously deal with every day in every situation who is who is my king who is my king and you mentioned how Jesus has some different um, litmus tests for are we even a part of the kingdom and you know what part of the king, what kingdom you're a part of by who your king is and so often we say we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, but there's another kingdom in our life that's, that we're lifting up higher than him. And then we read a verse about him saying, depart from me, I never knew you, and get all offended. And doesn't he love me? And it's like, well, he was never king in the first place. Yeah. He, was, he, was, he was somewhere else down the food chain. And I think that that's, to me, that's the starting point. Of all of this stuff in every conversation, in every relationship, in every offense, in every prayer, and hearing all the things about the demonic things, and Jesus is king. So how do we go to the how do we how do we take up the authority that the king, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me? Therefore you go and establish this kingdom. So that's given to us, right? So I I would just challenge and encourage every single one of us to take that really seriously. And we're not gonna go into this, but as we get into an election year, as we get into all of these hot topics, as we get into politics, check yourself. Who is your king? Are you banking on being able to elect in the savior of the world in this next election? And we say no, but the answer is yes. For most people in church, which is why the church is such a mess politically and why politics divides us so much is because I'm not mad at you because of the politics. I'm mad at you because you want a different king than me. Who is your king? And when Jesus is king, that's when we learn to love one another. And that's when the whole world sees that we're disciples. And that's when we take down principalities and powers over cities and nations.
1: Awesome. I'll just say this. Um, Isaiah 58 talks about the fast that looses the chains of injustice. Isaiah 58 says, is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the oppression, to loose wickedness? First of all, our greatest power against these powers and principalities is through fasting and prayer. Secondly, the type of fast, and God God will give you the area that you're responsible for to act justly in, you know, maybe it's not you're starting a justice movement, but is your business the way you run your business? Is it just? Is it honoring? Is Jesus being exalted in the way you treat everybody? What are the things that that the, the pathologies, the ways of thinking that need to be teared down? Where's bitterness and offense in your heart? God, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit in me. Lord, let me see and love like the way you see and love. Let me love my enemies. God, not only that, I want to bless them. But then it says remove. In Isaiah 58, he, he Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah challenges the church. He says, you, you love the fast and call out to me for justice and call out to me for righteousness. But he says, you, you failed to remove the yoke from your midst. And this is what it describes the yoke as. It says, the yoke is the spirit the pointing of the finger, the slandering, and the speaking of wickedness. In other words, you use, well, those Democrats, well, those stupid Republicans, well, you know how those white people are, well, you know how black people are, well, those, those us and them, them and those language is not kingdom language, that's fleshly language. So God says, remove the us versus them, the those, the them, the categorizations, and get kingdom language. Change your speech. And remove the pointing of the finger. Then it says, when I was hungry, did you feed me? It says... Spin yourselves on behalf of the poor. Go serve somebody who doesn't look like you. If you, if if you are somebody who lives in poverty or whatever, and you're like, I don't have anything to serve. I need to be served. That's not kingdom. The Bible says, go serve somebody. In fact, who are you mad at the most? Go serve them. Mm-hmm. Go bless your enemies. Who do you understand them? Who do you least understand? Go serve them. Who offends you the most? Go serve them. Who are you afraid of the most? Go serve them. Walk humbly, do justly, act justly, love mercy. Then it says in Isaiah 58, then your light will break forth like the dawn, like the noonday sun. You'll shine in strength. If we do Isaiah 58, we're going to be okay. Pray for us. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this assembly tonight. I thank you for the space that you've made for us to have this conversation Lord, I thank you for every question that is being asked, the questions that were texted in, the questions, even the frustration maybe, some things that were stirred up now and the questions that will come forth from tonight. Lord, I pray for a supernatural balm in Gilead. You are the healer. I ask that you would bring healing where there's wounding in this room tonight. God, that you would bring deliverance where there's frustration, confusion, anger. Lord, I'm asking that you would bring wisdom. You said ask and and knock and seek and the door will be open. Lord, you'll give us answers. And, Lord, I pray that you would lose the supernatural grace of the peacemakers in this room. God, would you, you said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Lord, I pray that you would release the same supernatural peace God that you released on the generations before, on Dr. King and so many others. Lord, let us be a kingdom of priests. God, let us operate in the ministry of reconciliation like never before and raise up a beautiful multicultural church in Indianapolis that walks justly, that walks humbly, Lord, that that acts justly and loves mercy. And let that be a sign and a wonder, a supernatural witness to this whole city, Of the John 17 oneness that you prayed in your last prayer, Lord Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name.